CJSW 90.9 FM and CMRU Radio in Calgary. Uki, Danse. Hello, my name is Grace Heavy Runner, Buxiganaki, from Indigenization Across the Nation. I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, Kainai, Siksika, and Bigani First Nations, the Sutina Nation, and the Stony Nakoda, including the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nations. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Bush Lady, lift up your head from that cold sidewalk. Introducing Alanise Obomswin. She is a filmmaker, singer, artist, and activist. She works for the National Film Board of Canada and has created so many documentaries on First Nations issues. This past August, she has turned 87 years old, and what an honor for her to be with us here at the radio station at CJSW. I was so happy when I met her in person. What a beautiful lady. And today we're going to talk about her latest film documentary, Jordan River Anderson, The Messenger. We talk about the justices, the challenges, and she explains the history of where the Jordan's principle has taken place. Where did it come from and why? So important and so touching to have seen this film. My name is Alanis Obamsawin. I am a Wabanaki woman. I come from a reserve called Odanak in the province of Quebec. And originally our territory was all of New England, the Eastern Township in Canada, the Maritime Provinces, and the southern part of Quebec. There was a lot of many thousands of people, many groups under different names, but all being part of the Wabanaki Confederacy which is part of the Algonquin Nations, in terms of, if you want to, uh, the language, there's a similarity. And uh, <clears throat> there were lots of wars, like for 300 years, and uh, our people lost. And uh, when it became, I wouldn't say it's sort of the end, because the end uh, never came. Um, the, the leaders, like the chiefs, got together and they said uh, to the people, <coughs> we're going to have to separate in different parts of our territory and we might not see each other again for many generations. And he asked the people that um, to try and remember something of the traditions, of the language. And he said, after so many uh, generations, people will meet again. 
And all those who have kept something, we all bring this together. And our people will speak again the language and go to the traditions and want to know more. And uh, I think it, it, it really came to be true. Now, uh, <clears throat> people everywhere uh, in the States, uh, in, especially in New England, many of our people are not recognized. And um, there's a, a will and a strength to go back to some of the tradition, to the language, to certain ways of our people being, because that's really where the real healing is. It don't come from outside, it comes from inside. And I feel that it's happening a lot since, I would say, especially since the last about 10 years. It is stronger. And <clears throat> in Canada, for instance, uh, I would say the last five years, mostly, we could go to 10. But 20 years ago, if you just start talking about whatever concerning our people, in general, Canadians were not listening and said, you know, ah, these Indians, they're always complaining. They're drunks and they don't pay tax. And now it's different. I think um, <coughs> there's an ear everywhere I go in my country. And uh, there's respect that I don't think we ever had before. And uh, I think in general, uh, Canadians wants to see justice to people, to our people. So it's a very, very different time, especially for our young people to be able to do anything they want to be, anything they want to do is possible. The doors are open everywhere. And uh, I think when young people say, oh, what can I do, what can you do? You can do anything you want to do. That's where we are now. And you have to believe in yourself and know that you have a gift and find out what that gift is and express it. And uh, everything is possible. Please, let's talk about the film. Jordan Spence. River. Yeah, Jordan River. Anderson. Anderson. The messenger. I, messenger, yeah. very young boy. <clears throat> Please, could you tell me about the film? When did you start the film? In 2011. And um, nothing much was happening except uh, fighting for recognition of uh, the, uh, I guess at that time they called it a motion, Jordan's principle in the federal court. And... Um, <clears throat> My main interest always has been children, students, and young children. And uh, I was very uh, curious about this. And I did call Cindy then. And I covered other things when uh, Shannon Kustashin was doing uh, a campaign to build a school in uh, Atawapiskat. I made a film there. And while I was there, there was the crisis of housing. So I dropped... Um, the school filmed for a few months and did a film on it's called uh, The People of the Karawapiskak River. And then I went back and I did uh, I Ho Mr. Hay, which is, was about the campaign and 
the children and, and their studies and what was happening in Arawapiskak. And uh, <clears throat> all this time, I was checking uh, Jordan River Anderson. Nothing much was happening. They were still fighting to get uh, the uh, motion to for people, who, families who were applying for help, financial help or physical help, uh, through uh, Jordan's principle and not receiving anything. So there was a lot of hardship there. And uh, then I started uh, covering what was going inside the courtroom concerning this. So we covered everything. But uh, while the uh, Tribunal of uh, Human Rights in 2016 decided that uh, the government was discriminating against uh, uh, indigenous children and uh, through education and health services. It took all this time, and it's 10 years of fighting, and then uh, once the, gov the uh, tribunal made its decision, then the government was appealing against it. And <clears throat> that took a lot of time and cost a lot of money. And uh, finally, it was not before uh, 2017 that they start obeying the decision of the tribunal. And then everything changed. It was incredible. I was in the courtroom all this time. I could not believe it. And it just goes to prove to you that if you fight and you believe in something and it's just, um, you have to expose injustice and you, you have to believe in it and you win. And they did win. And that was just, oh my God. I will never forget that day. To see, to be in the courtroom, and to see everybody, some who were against in the past and made it hard, everybody was for Jordan that day. Mm -hmm. And uh, <coughs> my personal opinion, I think the changes uh, in Indian affairs and uh, the attitude, the expression of people who work there. I watched for many years and heard for many years very difficult things. Now, there was a Mi'kmaq woman. It took her to have a different attitude. Just She didn't lie, and she said it was wrong, and the tribunal told us it was wrong. We did not abide, obey the decision. Now we are. And it was such a relief for me to hear the truth not trying to cover or lie and say, no, we did what we are supposed to do. It's a totally different attitude. It took a Native woman to do it. I'm telling you, I was just so impressed. And uh, so many people, it also covers the people who were refused all these years, could go and back and be uh, helped for what they were refused before. And they did the first summit um, last year mm. on uh, Jordan's principle in Winnipeg. And we were there too. And to see all those people who stood up and said that they received help and gave, uh, told a bit of their story, it was, it just goes to show you that it's possible. Don't you ever think that it's not possible. Mm. 
I wanted to talk about Jordan. Yes. What kind of, you know, what child, how was he? Yes. Like Virginia Anderson, the mother, when she was pregnant with Jordan, obviously there were complications. And I think she was flown to Winnipeg. I tried to find out did they did she go by plane or did they drive or drive her? But apparently nobody could remember, but I think she must have gone by plane because she was not well at all. And she went to the hospital in Winnipeg, uh, the children's hospital, and uh, Jordan was born there with many special needs. He couldn't speak. He couldn't walk. Uh, <clears throat> so he stayed there. And after two years being in this hospital, the doctors said that he could now go home or to a house, as long as he would be near a hospital and would need special equipment and uh, to function. Then there was a terrible argument between the federal government and the provincial Manitoba government on who's going to pay for the expense. And they decided that Jordan would stay in the hospital until they figure out whose responsibility it is. Can you imagine that? So um, he stayed three more years. And uh, finally, when they figured out, by now, uh, Jordan was five or turning five, he went into a coma and passed away. So, uh, you know, people were very upset. It was quite a scandal and... And this is why um, <clears throat> Jordan's principle became uh, very much at the front, like the whole country was hearing about it. And um, so you can imagine, uh, thank God the people were very good to him in the hospital. The nurses, the women working there, the therapists were really kind, and they, I think they just loved him. He was so handsome, he was so beautiful, you know. Just, you can imagine, like a mother, for instance, you, you would notice every little sign, the way he looked. Like one time, somebody's singing, and I think she's, I couldn't hear very well, but it sounded like this. And he scratched his neck, and he turns, takes away his hand from where it was, and he starts scratching his <laughs> neck. So just little things like that, you say, oh, my God, he understood, he's reacting, you know. Mm. And his eyes, he was so handsome, just beautiful. So all the movement, it, it, it reminds us of something. Long before the strangers came here, a, ch a woman who had a child, the child and the woman were inseparable until about the age of four or five. The mother carried the baby on her back in the front Everything she did, she had the baby with herself. And you know, in the uh, 1600, uh, when the Europeans first came here, I forget the date, whether it's early 16 or, or 1680, it's written that, uh, I guess must have been a missionary, said that, um, of course, you know, they thought that they were in India because of Christopher Columbus, so they called us in Indians, and it stayed, became official. He said that, the, these Indians loved their children too much. 
and that the thing to do is to separate the children from the mothers, and that way we will control them. This, we're talking 1600 now. And even at that time, they started some residential school. They had small schools, the missionaries. It would have, let's say, maybe 10, 12 uh, students there. And they couldn't hang on to them because the kids kept running away. And then that was finished. It was only much later, like in the 1800, that they start building these uh, big buildings for residential school and coming back. So the idea of separating children from the parents is for them the best a tool they had to, to control and to do what they wanted with them. And, it's, it, and still today, you still have this kind of uh, feeling that's left over. The, you know, just to tell the parents, you'll get help if you give your child uh, to the system to become a ward of government. It's the same kind of thing, same way of thinking. It's pretty scary when you think of it. But now, <clears throat> our people are getting stronger and stronger and understand when you're in it, you don't know what's happening to you. Yeah. We've all been through some stories here. And uh, it takes a while before you, before you figure out how design through the books in the classroom to teach officially and these books came from the church that our people were savages. And they went around and scalping people and burning these poor missionaries that came here. This was what was thought in the classroom for many generations. And it was really designed to create hate towards our people. And they did a very good job. And now I think people are waking up and I'm talking all people, not just our people. And... Uh, really understanding what's happened here. And it's nothing to be proud of. And I think uh, a lot of Canadians are appalled by that, and they want to see justice to the people. And I really know that. I feel it more and more. I've been around for a long time, and I've seen changes. And uh, it takes a while before you understand all the design and all the plan before of these people who came here and really did while that they could take everything they could take the land they can take the water they can take the nat natural resources and uh, that's where we are now but we're going to a place we've never been there before i'm telling you we have Lawyers, we have doctors, we have judges, we have... <coughs> Before 1951, you couldn't even go to university, you weren't allowed, because you were not a Canadian citizen. So to, for any indigenous person who had uh, the knowledge and was studying and could become a, 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 a lawyer, for instance, or a doctor, had to give up his, his race and say, I'm becoming a Canadian citizen and get a bit of money from the government. Because they used to say, you're selling your rights. Yeah. So you can imagine, and then what it made for our people. Then those people who went to the city and took a bit of money, then they wanted to go back to the community. And the people there said, you're a traitor. 
you sold your rights, you go back to where you came from. So the the terrible um, life and uh, threatening and all those things, uh, separation from your family, went on for a very long time. And with the Indian Act, telling people you don't belong. And all those things was to really put people against each other. And they did a good job. And this is what uh, we know now, all that story. And it's not acceptable. I know that you really uncovered, you really uncovered a lot um, by just showing, like me watching the documentary, I've, I've learned so much too at the same time. I'm actually a residential school survivor myself. And the challenges that families are put, worth put through and the ones that were just disregarded, their rights, their, their needs, especially for their, their special needs children that needed the help and the care they were actually told to give them up to the system. Yes. And that was really heartbreaking to see, you know, mm-hmm. to see that in the documentary. It was really heartbreaking seeing the families um, going through that, those challenges. Mm-hmm. And you know and I know that the legacy of the residential school system has continued to thrive from the 60s school, you know, Jordan, Jordan's story, the residential school survivors, you know, uh, it just, there's <coughs> just a chain of reaction that I see. Yes. In the end, Jordan, you know, passed away. I, I really, you know, I cried and I can see that in the documentary. Uh, but he also opened. He's still living. Yeah, he still opened that door and yeah. he now uh, his his presence is still yes. alive. If you can tell the audience, what day was the Jordan's principle became law? When did it become It was uh, 2007. I remember, I think it was December, but I'm not sure. I have to check it out. But mm-hmm. it, it was in 2007 that the mm-hmm. motion was passed. Mm-hmm. Everybody said yes in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. There's a woman in the film... Uh, Jane Crowder, she was uh, an uh, assistant uh, minister at that time, or or a minister for the NDP. And she worked with uh, Cindy Blackstock to write the motion. And uh, she um, is in the film, and it is so moving to hear Mm -hmm. her. Like, you can see how hard it was, like, to to get attention, finally get the motion passed. And she described that when it did in the courtroom, there were families with their children who were in special needs that were there in the audience. And she she said that this was the most moving thing for what to watch them seeing everybody in the courtroom saying yes and be concerned about these children. It's amazing. So... Uh, <clears throat> Jordan has uh, got the attention in the world. It's not mm-hmm. just in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's many places in Australia and uh, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so it's been uh, very uh, taxing to the family. 
that you had, you know, the, there was a lot of children in that family, and every time uh, Virginia, the mother, she she couldn't stand to know that uh, Jordan was alone in Winnipeg in the hospital, so she would come there and stay there for months. Then she had a lot of young children at home who were really missing her. So it really destroyed the whole family. Uh, it was very, very difficult. Mm. And uh, she passed away six months after Jordan did, so you can imagine just that alone. Uh, yes, it was um, very tragic, <coughs> very tragic on what has happened. You know, the mother, I, I felt like the way my personal feelings is that her heart was broken. Yes. You know. She died of a broken heart, yes, that's for sure. Yes. Mm. And uh, taken away from that, I know that uh, Cindy Blackstock has played an enormous role. Yes. Um, how was it working with her when, during the film? Oh, she is so. I watched her all, all the time in the in the courtroom, and I remember one particular day. One day she was questioned, and uh, the lawyer who was questioning her really tried to humiliate her, to take away her dignity. Impossible. And I remember that night. I felt so bad about that. You know. So the next day, I said to, to uh, Cindy, I said, were you okay last night? I said, I was very worried about you just watching what was happening in court. She says, well, something like this. you know." She says, well, sometimes you know, I get home and I, I feel bad, and but you know, that's all right. I'm not going to get to their level. If they want to treat me like that, it's okay. People will see how they treat me. I thought, wow, what a reaction. She's so strong. You know, I just, she is so strong. I have never met a people as strong as this. She'll fight anybody, and she can converse with anybody, it doesn't matter who. <coughs> she has the answer. She's a lawyer now, too, you know. So uh, we're so lucky to have her. Hmm. We're just uh, coming to the end of our show. Like I said, I was in tears after the film. There was also another family that you were focused on. Yes. And he's still thriving. Well, he's still living. He's still... Yes. He's, he's 16 <laughs> now. He must be yeah. turning 17. He's 17, I think. Noah. Yeah. Yes, he was, you know, he was a part of this, you know. Yeah. And uh, when everything, you know, the reconciliation... Yes. was actually yeah. playing its part, Yes, you know, for Canada and for the children. He was a part of that, and he's in school now. Yes. You know, so um, just seeing the changes in the yeah. stages yes. of the film, uh, you know, I was so uplifted. I, I felt so empowered. Yes. So, you know. Um, yeah. And you see, his mother is a lawyer, mm -hmm. <coughs> and his father was a principal at times and um, in the school, and... They fought like crazy to be able to get help, to get a wheelchair. It was like going to mm -hmm. war. And uh, finally, they they won their case, and they did mm -hmm. start to receive some help. But uh, like she says, uh, what about the families that don't have, like the, 
these professional uh, titles, it, it's even harder, and they had a very hard time. But again, it's so it's it's profound. It's more than than hope. I think at the end, mm. the strength and the change, and the people are receiving help, in dignity. Excuse me. It's it's a big change. You have to continue now fighting for. Um, when the, these children get to be 16 or 18 or 20, if they're not in school, then they don't get help anymore. Well, their problem stays on, and they need to have help until they die. And that's what we have to fight about now, the continuation. Not say, now you're 21, uh, goodbye. It doesn't work like that. But they won this big battle, and now they have to continue. Indigenization across the nation is produced by Grace Heavy Runner with Hannah Manyguns and Spencer Burgess. Bush lady Come